What's up, everyone? This is episode number 49 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on my social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Now, I just plugged my social media as I always do. So obviously that shows that I feel um, there are some major benefits to using those platforms for what I do. It's the main vehicle I use to drive people to my show. It's a really efficient way to spread the word about altered cards. It's a great way to find and interact with people that have similar interests, just like social media in general, MySpace, Facebook, those kind of things. They were great practical ideas when they started. But over time, your racist grandma signed up and she's scrambling to unleash 70 years of pinup frustration. Your unemployed uncle is sending you Farmville invites and posting chain letters on your wall. Your parents are tagging you in pictures from your third grade recital. Over time, things just got a little muddy. And with that being said, when it comes to the hobby, social media can be awesome, but it can also be a real cesspool of shady characters, lazy people, and then you have a pretty good mix of those posters that are either ignorant or naive. And I would say I feel a little more empathy for those that are naive, but at any rate, as the hobby grows, all of these groups are multiplying at a rapid pace. I want to try and do the best I can to wrap my head around this and address this. And let me preface this by saying that I think questions are good. Asking questions is healthy, right? In fact, I devoted an entire episode to them recently, and that's how people learn. Later in this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about Damian Lillard cards, and I'm not ashamed to let you know that I had to find the right people and ask some questions in order to get a few facts straightened out. Now, I don't know who originally said it, but there's a popular saying that says there's no such thing as a stupid question. I'm sure they were trying to encourage the quest for knowledge, but I can assure you there are some very stupid questions out there. And the more people ask them, the more they look like stupid people in the process. I know I have listeners from all age groups that tune into the show, and that's really a testament to the hobby. Um, It can be enjoyed by all different age groups equally. Well, those of you that are old enough to remember the pre-smartphone days, you might remember when people would sit in a bathroom stall and let's say they're there for an extended stay. They've got nothing to do and after a while, boredom gets the best of them. So uh, many of these people would carve messages for all future occupants that uh, would would later find themselves on that same throne. And uh, a pretty common message involved some variation of, for a good time, call... And then you'd put someone's number that you had memorized, usually a good friend that you knew probably wouldn't provide them with a good time. Now, I know I kind of rambled there, but all of that is to say in 2020, even though we've got smartphones now, in 2020, if I could scratch out a similar message for you guys, it would say something to the effect of, for a good time, scroll through some of the popular basketball card investment groups on Facebook. Like I said, I'm not anti-question. I'm not anti-investment. There are plenty of people out there going about their business with a very calculated, reasonable approach. I'm friends with some of them. We just have different approaches. But holy smokes, these Facebook pages are something else. And I, I don't even think the majority of these groups accurately represent this portion of the hobby. You know, they're labeled as investment groups, but that's definitely not what's inside. 
Um, it's like opening a prison blaster only to find resealed packs of Hoops Holiday Edition instead. Which, by the way, do you want to know what's worse than hoops? Hoops with snow all over it. Um, I'm surprised some of these junior investors haven't asked if there's any sort of uh, precipitation multipliers for cards. Anyway, let me give you a quick sampling of some of the questions that you're going to see in these groups throughout any given week. And these are, of course, aside from the usual questions that I see that I addressed a couple of episodes ago. And the first one is actually a really good question. I don't want to cherry pick all of the awful stuff. There are some good conversations in these groups, but you have to look through quite a bit of nonsense to find them. So somebody asked, what is everyone's recent purchase that is against the grain? I like this. I've talked about it before, especially in basketball right now. If you want some good deals, you have to zig when everyone else is zagging. So that's one quick, uh, that was a good question. Okay. I know this next one isn't a basketball example, but it was too good to leave alone. And this is some of the nonsense that you have to sort through, and that process is probably harder for people that are just entering the hobby. Um, This week, someone asked about investing in XFL cards. Okay? Um, You know, XFL like Vince McMahon, WWE, right? Um, I don't have the exact question in front of me, but the general thought process was, Maybe some of these players will somehow not only make it to the NFL, but then thrive in the NFL. Um, Did we not just watch the AAF crash and burn and watch its standout star Trent Richardson, who still couldn't run through the side of a wet paper bag? And on top of that, we've already had the XFL and we already had XFL cards. Now, I don't even collect football cards. I'm just a casual observer there, but it's not unusual for history to repeat itself. Um, So how many of you out there retired off of flipping Tommy Maddox cards? Don't be bashful. I can't hear you. This is one of the reasons that I absolutely can't wait for Panini to come out with the G League set. I long for the day when Johnny Trueblood from Nebraska drops 25 in garbage time and his G League stuff rockets to the moon. Um, Then you get to see all the idiots that get stuck with that hot potato. Um, The last post I'm going to talk about today is from someone who said he was about to lose his job and he wanted to invest in a handful of $20 to $40 cards from his local card shop. And before I get to the question, I will say people there were very quick to let him know that sports card investing is not the route to go if he's losing his job. So kudos to them. Um, Anyway, the card shop sold him some cards at nearly double the going rate. You know, shock, right? And at the end of this post, he said, Um, They lost me as a customer, I think. Depends on what you guys think. And then there's a question mark. Let me be clear here. I don't want to kick a guy when he's down. I hope he finds a new job quick. But um, this is representative of other posts I've seen. So it's a good example. It uses the word we. What do we think? What are we investing in right now? And if I could talk to this guy, I would tell him and any people that post things like this, You've got to learn to think on your own. You took your smartphone into the store. You could have looked up card prices. That's not on the card store owner. That's on you. But there's more to it than that. You know, why talk about these people? Um, Aside from the fact that it's fascinating in a train wreck type of way, these people are a part of our fast-growing hobby. 
And those of you that are listening today, you probably have a pretty good grasp on what you're doing, but you're going to find yourself surrounded by these people. And we, and I say we because I'm including myself here, we have to learn how to deal with them. And we have to recognize that at some point we're probably going to end up making transactions with these people. So maybe we should stop and figure out what is our responsibility when it comes to interacting with them. Uh, Earlier I mentioned that some of the people in these groups could be classified as either naive or ignorant. And generally speaking, if someone is naive, it just means they lack experience and wisdom. And I found those people to be a little easier to work with. Okay, experience is a great teacher, but you don't have to get stabbed to know that getting stabbed is going to hurt. Plenty of other people have been there, done that, right? Your curiosity has to have some parameters. You can learn through other people and kind of adopt uh, shared experiences. And those of you that are new to the hobby and are out there working hard and looking for answers to your questions, you're navigating eBay on your own, you're trying things out, you're looking up prices on your own, you can take whatever critical thinking skills you use in all other aspects of life and apply them to cards, well, I applaud you. Um, But on the other hand, though, there's quite a bit of ignorance out there. And that is generally, ignorance is generally defined as a blatant lack of knowledge or education. And I would also add that there's a component of either um, stubbornness or laziness that goes along with it. And that's something that people in this hobby shouldn't be receptive to. And in my opinion, in the nicest way possible, collectors shouldn't tolerate that. Shouldn't tolerate ignorance like that. Now, I say the nicest way possible and not tolerating something. Those seem a little contradictory. Um, What does that look like? Well, uh, my first, and I don't know if you want to call this a suggestion or a plea or whatever, but those of you that have been around the hobby for a while, try to at least make yourself present. Don't get stuck in your circle of like-minded collectors. There are a lot of people that could benefit from you being part of a community. Um, Likewise, there's a lot of stuff that you can learn when you open yourself up to new things or new ways of thinking. And, you know, I've talked about my new appreciation for Panini status. Well, that grew out of community. Okay, that wasn't because I went to the store and, and just bought some status. It was because I was talking with people, interacting with people, looking at their stuff, right? So then when you are present, um, initiate conversations. Share the things you're passionate about. Share a memory or a fun fact about a product that some people might not know. And then try to at least uh, respond to some of these goofy posts that you see. Not all of them, but you know, hit one of them here or there. Asking for values or advice you know, or what to buy at Walmart. Uh, but fight the ignorance aspect of it by responding with resources and tools instead of the instant results that they're probably looking for. Because it all goes back to that teach a man to fish mentality. Stop enabling these people and giving them comps for common cards that change hands daily. Start giving them instructions on how to go to eBay and find it for themselves. It sounds simple, and really it is, but some of the things you'll uncover will surprise you. I ran into a seller at a card show this year that didn't know you could search completed sales on eBay. He's selling at a card show, and it shocked me. Um... Anyway, I don't have a lot more to say about that. These groups and these posts and collector roles have been on my mind quite a bit lately. 
and I'm trying to brainstorm where we go from here and highlight the fact that everyone can bring something to the table. Um, I'll close this part though with a word of caution. Those of you that are jumping in social media groups or message boards or hobby content, maybe you're trying to get rich quick. Maybe you're tempted to open your wallets or log into PayPal. The first piece of advice you've been given, you're going to get preyed on. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You really can't help it if you're naive, but a lot of the knowledge is out there. The information is out there. Do not, I repeat, do not choose to be ignorant. Otherwise, people are going to take advantage of you. You are swimming in a pool of sharks. And right now, some of you are jumping in with flesh wounds that are already exposed. Okay, uh, speaking of predatory animals, I want to take a few moments to talk about a company that has actually sponsored some of this bogus investment front, and that is StockX. And as many of you know, it's not my first time talking about this company. I want to be cautious, though, and just lay out whatever facts we have about this latest situation, and then I'll let you guys be the judge. I don't want to accuse them of anything outright this time, um, but I'm hoping that this prompts some sort of response or clarification, in which case all parties involved can just say, okay, this was a misunderstanding, and then everyone can just move on. Um, The post I'm going to talk about was originally posted a little over a week ago by the Instagram account quickconsignment802, and I missed it the first time. Um, I first heard about it on the Cardboard Illuminati podcast. I told them I I thought it deserved more discussion. Um, They were kind enough to pass the post along so I could look at it myself, so um, kudos to the guys at Cardboard Illuminati. So... um, On this post, you have a picture of a PSA 10 Trey Young Prism Rookie that was sold on eBay by Quick Consignment 802. And this was around the time this card was selling uh, for between $75 and $85. And this particular copy sold for $94. So that's about 10% higher than that range, but not too much out of control. And the seller noted that the account that purchased this card um, immediately canceled the sale. Well, the buyer's username was CardT71. They joined eBay in October. They had 47 feedback. Um, you know, not really a big deal there. But more importantly, the buyer name then when um, the seller received that information, the buyer name was StockX, and the shipping address matched up with StockX. And I checked their feedback on Wednesday night, and it was up to 57, so they are still an active account. Um This purchase just so happened to be at the same time that StockX had a player spotlight feature for Trey Young on their Instagram. So um, I took this post and, you know, I knew a lot of people had already seen it. I missed out on it. Well, I, I shared it because I thought it deserved a little more attention and I wanted to get some thoughts on it myself. And several people mentioned the possibility of market manipulation You know, the whole 10% bump thing isn't anything new. Uh, For those of you that are unfamiliar with that, a group of accounts or buyers can drive the price of a card up pretty quick, just 10% at a time. Um, In that small of an increment, sometimes it it seems passable. Uh, Let's say you have a $100 card, you get four people to create those kind of bumps, you can get that thing to $150 in a short amount of time. Now, I can't confirm that. 
that's what they were actually doing. I'm not going to say that's what they were actually doing. I'm not even implying that's what they were doing. That's just what some people have um, figured might have happened. Um, now, in their defense, it doesn't make sense to me that StockX would do this and jeopardize their business over such a small amount. You know how how much are they really going to benefit from comps going up? So, I tried to reach out to them. I tagged them on social media. I scoured the internet for some kind of phone number I could reach them at, uh, and nothing. Um, in the past, all of my emails have been ignored, so I didn't even try that route. Um, it's funny because one of the central tenants advertised on their website is transparency, but they don't open themselves up to the general public. Um, they hired big hobby Instagram accounts and created a copy-paste ad for them that blurred the lines between real enthusiasm and paid advertising. That seemed a little deceptive. They don't have a phone number you can reach them at. They don't answer email, um, but they're talking about transparency, right? So what do you do? Um... Anyway, I don't know what's going on there. So like I said, those are the facts I have. I'll let you guys decide for yourself. The only other thing I want to add before I move on, um, this pertains to those Instagram accounts I just referenced. Um, you know the ones. They, they'd say things like, I don't normally post about baseball, but check out this Bowman X product that I would otherwise have nothing to do with. Gee, I sure love a good IPO. Right, those accounts. Um in retrospect, was it worth your $100 or whatever you ended up getting? Um, are you happy with being a puppet for a company that hides behind closed doors? Was it worth causing people to question everything else you posted from that day forward? You know, I don't know. That's not for me to determine. Um, all right, uh, enough with the hobby ignorance and, or hobby malpractice or whatever, whatever else you want to label all of this. I want to close out today's show by briefly taking a look back at the first half of the 2019-2020 season. I've got just a few more miscellaneous thoughts. I want to try and put this current rookie crop into perspective with a look at the 2012 and 2013 hobby class. Um, There's going to be a little section on Damian Lillard rookies at the end. I, I promise it should all connect when I get there. At least in my head it does. Um... We're talking about this the second half, or the, I'm sorry, this first half. If there is one card right now that sums up the state of the hobby, um, it would be a, a Hoops Dual Auto from the start of the season that features Kobe Bryant and Zion Williamson. And it, you know, it really encompasses everything that's gone on as of late and everything that's been the buzz in the hobby. And I remember when that card was revealed... It didn't make much sense to me. Um, you know, it was kind of like, let's take this low-end product that has no real chase and let's add dual autos, which was awesome, mind you. Um, and then the pairing was, you know, let's take these two company ambassadors that really have nothing to do with one another. So the pairing didn't mean anything at the time. Well, you know, here we are in February and all people can talk about or think about is Kobe Bryant and Zion Williamson. Um I don't own that card, but man, if I could ever get my hands on one, um, what a way to commemorate a a, uh, tumultuous last couple weeks in the hobby. And um, with that being said, I'm not really going to talk a lot about Zion in this episode. I've talked about him enough already over the last couple of weeks. The only thing I'll say is that I'm really impressed with what I've seen so far. 
I know the hobby has cooled a little bit on him, but he's been really good. Um, a lot of people had unrealistic expectations on him, but you know it's early. He's averaging 19.5 points over 8 rebounds. He's shooting over 60%. He hasn't been shooting the 3 much since his season debut where he went 4 for 4, so he seems to have a really good grasp on his limitations. And if he can get in shape and stay healthy, and I know those are big concerns. I think he has some sort of a toe injury now. But if he can do those two things, he's going to be a contributor in this league for a long time. And all of that is just 19 years old. I've been very impressed so far. Um, As far as cards go, real quick though, I I do have to mention this. His optic base rookie picture was released today. It looks like he's cuddling the ball next to his ear. Um... I don't. Maybe he's trying to hear the ocean in it, right? It, it looks awful, um, but at least it's a different picture. We've got Ja Moran's card. Looks like the same picture they used for hoops, um, or at least it has his name on it, right? Kendrick Nunn's cards, for some reason, don't have his name on the front, which I'm sure I'll talk about more later. But anyway, speaking of rookies, last week I was on another show called Let Me Get That Potograph, and the host drew. He asked me what rookies have really stood out to me so far, and I, I touched on Zion already. Obviously, Jaw has been really impressive. Um, I was worried about John Moran's playing style early and his long-term health. Um, you know, he just seems really reckless, but um, he's held up so far and he's been amazing. So he's he's proving me wrong so far. Um, I like what Brandon Clark is doing in Memphis. People kind of rag on him because he's 23, you know, as if that's a bad thing. Michael Porter Jr. has looked good the times that I've watched him or the, or the times that Malone's actually played him. I think he dropped 21 on my Pacers at one point. Uh, and then several guys seem to have found their groove as of late. You've got your Atlanta rookies in Reddish and Hunter. Um, Terrence Davis has really come into his own for Toronto. For those of you that don't know his story, he was undrafted. Um, but that's because he told the teams looking at him in the second round that he didn't want to sign a two-way. Now, had he taken a two-way, we would have probably have seen him in more sets other than Prism Draft. So that kind of stuff affects cards too. Um, but he wanted to bet on himself and up to this point it's paid off. And there are other guys that have looked good, but I'm not going to go through them all. Um, the one thing I can't stress enough though, when, you know, when people ask me about rookies or when we're talking about rookies, a lot of these guys are 19 or 20 years old and I don't want to harp on them when they're struggling. Um, you probably sucked during your first year on the job too, you know? Um, one thing to remember, and and this is going to kind of carry me into this last segment here. Um, A lot of players don't enter their primes until they're around 27 years old. I've talked about them before. Look at a guy like Victor Oladipo. He was in that horrible uh, 2013 class, and it took him quite a while and several different teams and situations to come into his own. And sometimes when guys like this do finally get things figured out, the hobby will have already passed them by. Um, A big example that I can think of right now, I've mentioned him before, is Andre Drummond. He's having a monster year. It's too late, though. No one cares about the Pistons. He's a big man. You know, Traditionally, they don't sell well in the hobby. I thought maybe if he got traded to a team like Boston or ended up in a big market, that um, that might be something that could reverse that and the hobby might take notice. Well, he got traded to Cleveland today, so that might be the final nail in the coffin for Andre Drummond cards. We'll see. 
Um, but Drummond was part of the double rookie class that we had back in 2012. And for those of you that are new to the hobby or new to the show, there was a lockout during a large part of the 2011-2012 NBA season. Um, and there were a few exceptions, but Panini really didn't release any rookies that year. So that meant all of the guys from the 2011 class were packaged with all of the 2012 draft picks in 2012 and 2013 products. So think about how old these guys are now. You know, you got Kawhi's 28, Anthony Davis is 26, Kyrie's 27. Um, now, don't get me wrong; these players have been good for a long time already. Some of them were building up to their primes, but it's just another fact to consider in the context of this whole hobby right now. A lot of the guys from that class are in their prime. Um, And it really amazes me just how good this 2012 and 2013 hobby class still is. You know, I know it was a double class, but what other back-to-back years could have produced the same results? Maybe, and I'm talking the Panini era, maybe 2009 and 2010, um, but a lot of the, the key products hadn't debuted yet. You know, really all they had was National Treasures. Um, one of those guys from that class, from the 2012-2013 class, has been on an absolute tear as of late. And he's a little bit older. He's 29. Um, I've oohed and odd about him on this show before, especially in the playoffs. I committed myself to picking up a nice patch of his in the offseason when things cooled off. Um, I didn't. I still wish I had. But that's Damian Lillard. And I know some of you are probably watching him now that he's really heated up and wanting to pick up some of his key rookies. And this probably isn't the best time to buy, but I at least want you to know what you're getting into because the Lillard rookie auto situation is a little messy. Um, I talked a little bit about Lillard rookies with Adam all the way back in the first couple of Zion episodes that we did. Um, I remembered that Leaf had an exclusive, and I knew that Panini ended up releasing a lot of his stuff later on in special packs, but I didn't remember all the specifics. Um, since then, I've had one or two people ask me about Lillard stuff, so um, I figured now that he's on this hot tear, I mean, he was averaging like 50 points a game for like the last five or six games, I think. Um so I I went on blowout this week and I asked some of the posters there to help me sort this out. So I compiled all their information and formed a timeline with it and I want to run through that timeline of um kind of how Damian Lillard rookie autographs came to be in Panini products and then I'm going to close things out. Okay? So um all of this started in December of 2012 when Leaf signed an exclusive um, an exclusive deal with Damian Lillard, and it was an autograph and memorabilia deal that would cover both trading cards and memorabilia. And um, that meant that they would be the only company that would be offering autographed Lillard cards. So Lillard then had a great rookie year. He averaged 19 points per game. He averaged six and a half assists. He was the unanimous rookie of the year. Um <clears throat> He was, however, absent from all of Panini's premium stuff as a result of this exclusive. And um, at this point, Leaf was even taking some of their stickers and buying Prism Base and Select Base. And they were adhering the stickers to those cards, slabbing them and featuring them as hits in their 2012 and 2013 best basketball product. Because people were really um, you know, desperate for... Lee, uh, Lillard Panini stuff. 
So then in um, September of 2013, there was a release that uh, press release that Leaf agreed to let Lillard sign autographs for a select number of Panini products, even though he was still labeled as a Leaf exclusive. So this seemed a little bit strange. Um, they announced that um, his autographs would appear in Innovation, Intrigue, Immaculate, and Flawless, which was a yet unannounced product. And um, if you're, you know, I've had people ask about this. The Flawless autos are the only Panini on-card rookie autographs for Lillard, and there's only 56 total. They came in case, but many of them have since been cracked to be graded. Um, several more surfaced later in the 2015 replay product, but most p- collectors refused to classify those as actual rookie autos. Um, so then, not too long after that, after they announced that they were letting him sign for Panini, remember that seemed strange, um, it was assumed that this sudden appearance of Panini Lillard autos was actually the end result of a long line of legal battles between the two companies mainly involving their crusade design. So Panini likely acquired these as part of a settlement. Um, So then around November, Panini announced how they were going to distribute that, and that was their Damian Lillard Rapper Redemption program um, that featured his autographs and some of the major sets that had already come out, including Gold Standard, Preferred, National Treasures, which was a big one, and Select. And in order to receive one of these packs, you had to accumulate points or barcodes that were assigned to other 2012-2013 basketball products and then send them to Panini. Um, Something that's interesting about these packs is that they misprinted all of the National Treasures designs and they messed up the continuity of the numbering. So the horizontal RPA was actually numbered to 5 and the vertical design was numbered to 99. So um, if you see some Lillard rookie RPAs that seem a little backwards, that was the reasoning. That was the situation there. Okay. So anyway, um, a lot, I, had, I know I had a lot of stuff there. Um, I tried to connect a lot of those pieces. I hope it, it actually came across as connected. Um, those were just a few of my thoughts from this week on Facebook investor groups and the current crop of rookies. Um, how we need to give them a little more time. So now I want to hear from you. Maybe you have a player you like that everyone has abandoned long ago. Uh, Maybe you have a sleeper in this year's rookie class that you think will pan out long term. Let me know on my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast, or my Twitter, which is at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.